me fucking scoot back there so I guess I'm fucking so I don't punch the microphone. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Filmoscopy Podcast, uh, the show where three buds uh, talk about movies, any movies they wish. Um, today's episode is Full Metal Jacket slash kind of the short timers because I'm going to be talking a lot about the book because part of this is going to be like a PSA where I, I tell people, hey, if you read books, uh, read this book. I think it's a lot better than the movie. Um it's a short book. Also, it's only like 150 pages. You can read it like in an afternoon. Um, How do you make this into two hours? That's what I'm fucking saying. I don't. Um, so there's some scenes in the movie. Um, well, first off, let me introduce you, you guys, just in case somebody's watching this uh, for the first time. So with me is Cody. Yo. And then Lance. I will be referred to as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Ahsoka. Ahsoka my nuts. Um, <laughs> How great was that Ahsoka thing? <laughs> Dude, that <laughs> shit was funny as hell. I had to like watch it like three times. <laughs> but um, so um, about uh, how they got this movie to be two hours, um, the I'm guessing... There's a couple things that were added in from another book called Dispatches. So Full Metal Jacket is almost entirely based on a book called The Short Timers by uh, Gustav Hasford. Um, and it's partly um, inspired by a book called Dispatches by Michael Hare. Uh, Michael Hare and Gustav Hasford are both co-writers on the um, credits. Uh, and that's a whole other story I'll have to get into a little later. But I'm guessing that they added some scenes from dispatches, uh, stuff like what the what the helicopter gunner says. That was kind of added from dispatches, but that sequence kind of happens in the short timers too. Uh, just certain certain things like that, and some some scenes are completely original to Full Metal Jacket, as far as I can tell. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's um, I guess. The first thing I want to kind of ask is is if you guys had seen this movie, where have you heard it from, uh, your first interactions with it. I'm sure everybody's kind of had the pop culture knowledge of the boot camp sequences in Arlie Emery. But uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, Lance. I uh, Actually, this is the first time I'd ever seen anything from this movie. I mean, other than like still images. I used to follow this uh, Twitter account. Oh, excuse me, X account. Um, yeah, it's X now. Don't dead name Twitter, dude. <laughs> My bad. I don't want to get sued. Um, but there was a, a thing called movie quotes, and they'd always have these still images of um, the drill. What's the guy's name who plays the drill? Arlie Emery. Again? Yeah, Sergeant Hartman. Arlie Emery. Uh, yeah, Arlie Emery. Uh, Arlie Emery, like him, like pointing at the camera, yelling at it, and it showed the quote, or him, like, You're five foot nine. I never saw, uh, I didn't know they stacked shit that high. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, just 
small snippets of it. And I, I've heard that from you especially, but other people's like, oh, me so horny, five dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, every time, every time I watch this movie, I think like, I wonder what that lady thinks about her her role in this movie and how it had impacted how culture. You, you know, yeah, how ubiquitous <laughs> that is now. Yeah, how it's kind of like you know become a stereotype in and of itself. Uh, oh, me so horny. <laughs> I swear, uh, love you a long time. And then he's he just sucky, like sucky. And he goes like, my mama said I can only spend five dollars, <laughs> and all that stupid shit. So yeah, this is the first time I'd ever seen this movie, though. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Me sucky, sucky. All right, oh. Cody. Uh, have you seen this movie before? Or if not, kind of when did you see it or know about um, it? So I've heard about this movie for a long time. Uh, a friend of mine, Carrie. Had, I think he had tried to convince me to watch this movie maybe even as back as far back as when we were in middle school. Um, but I just I had never seen it. It's funny though, and this is the first time watching, obviously, but um it's funny how many like references to this movie I've I've been aware of throughout my life, but never knew that they came from this movie. Um yeah. like the like the whole like you know this is my rifle this is my gun like i heard that on family guy like years ago mm-hmm. uh there's like a bit where stewie's doing it and um it, it's just that the me so horny thing you know um me so, so much. horny <laughs> so so many things in this movie it's like oh man like i i never knew it came from this but yeah so um yeah that's it <laughs> yeah. so so uh, horny Sorry, Lance. Go ahead. I don't uh, know if me so had... horny. Exactly. Me so horny. <laughs> me sucky sucky. Fifteen dollars. I love how every time a... they like come across a Vietnamese like hooker, um, she says like fifteen dollars is her flat rate, and they all go, "Ooh." <laughs> They're like, "Damn, that's too much." That's a, you know, it's like I keep. Uh... I, I just that's all I'm going to contribute to this episode. It's like me so horny. Every time you ask me something, like Lance, what do about this? It's like me so horny. <laughs> me, so, me so horny. But yeah. Um. So the first time I think I had seen this movie, this might have been the first movie I'd ever seen that was like related to the military or um like a realistic war film um or oh, anything related to Vietnam. Uh. So this movie kind of had like a weird impact on me. Like, I've seen other stuff, like, relating to the military and stuff. I watched Small Soldiers as a kid, but this is my first, like, war movie, and I just remembered it being, like, the weirdest um, thing I think I had ever watched. It was so captivating. Like, none of the characters in this movie are particularly memorable, except uh, Sergeant Hartman, and that's mostly Arlie Emery, like, flexing his, you know, his drill sergeant routine. I would argue that Joker and... um private pile but you know uh yeah definitely uh you know private pile definitely has like a here's uh something i was gonna bring up i know lance probably knows lance you know who gummer pile is because you watched um what's the Andy sh- griffith show yeah so later on i don't know if you know about this lance there was a show called private pile usmc or yeah, Go- gonna go gomer pile, pile. USMC. excuse yeah. me yeah gomer pile it's a, spin- it's a spinoff like Gomer was such a popular character, they spun him off, and he got like 
six seasons on that show, I think. Yeah, so uh, the boot camp sequences are almost exactly the same as the sequences uh, from the book to the movie, I mean. Um, and I wonder if the character of Private Pyle was literally just Gustav Hausford being like the writer of the book, just putting Gomer Pyle in like the real life Marines and being like, okay, yeah, this is how it would actually happen. You know, <laughs> like I don't, I'll, I'll go into kind of how he was and stuff um, just to kind of back up my point here. Uh, he's, he's kind of a weird guy from what I've heard. Uh, but yeah, this was kind of the first war movie I, I'd ever watched, and it kind of led me into a, like a fascination of, with the Vietnam War and, and stuff like that. So that, that's actually interesting to me. Um, I don't know if Lance remembers his first war, war actually like war movie, but for me, it would have been I think Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. which is I didn't watch Saving um, Private Ryan until probably like a couple years ago. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I've talked about it like on that episode we did a Heartbreak Ridge. I think the first one I remember watching that was like military based that I remember liking because my dad's probably shown me quite a few like like Clint Eastwood had a, like a movie Where Eagles Dare, and then there's quite a bit of um, other war movies that I've ended up watching with him, but none of them really stuck until I watched Heartbreak Ridge. That was like the first one I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, other since then, though, there's one that came out in '65 called uh, "The Battle of the Bulge." Yeah, the I mean, Battle of the Notices Bulge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that movie's got like, um, oh God, what's his name? Charles Bronson. It's got Robert Shaw, who is the crazy boat captain from Jaws. Yeah, um, that's that's a it's really Telly Savales. That's a really good movie, but a funny bit of trivia is is that uh, General Eisenhower, who was you know Allied Supreme Commander in World War II, he was still alive yeah. when that movie came out, and I think he like made one of his last public statements saying that that movie was like completely inaccurate bullshit. It's still a good movie, <laughs> but I just think that was a oh, funny yeah. bit of trivia. That is a great movie, and then like I seen. Um... Like the Dirty Dozen, which is also a World War Two movie. Yeah, and then Achilles uh, Heroes, which is kind of a humorous World War Two movie with Clint Eastwood and a bunch of other people. It's fucking great. All yeah, three of those Hogan's movies Heroes. have an actor. Uh, yeah, Hogan's <laughs> Heroes is a show, of course. But yeah. there's a uh, uh, there's one actor who's in all three of those movies, and his name's Tully Savalas, and he's fucking awesome as an actor. He's like one of the first bald dudes that actually got like notoriety as an actor, and he's fucking awesome. So, but yeah, this, this movie was extremely, um, I don't know, man, there was times in it I was kind of bored, not like in a bad way, just my mind, I was thinking about other things, but yeah. when it got to the, the ending, like war stuff, like the graphicness of it, I'm like, that shit, like it drew me fucking in, that's for sure. You know? Yeah, I totally like agree, because I think the book, the book has so much more like fucked up shit in it, and like so many sequences, and and there's one big issue I kind of have is, is that um, a lot of the characters and stuff, so you have those sequences where Joker's like, I forget where he is in the movie, um, but, you know, he's he's at that base. I think it's supposed to be Da Nang or something, and he's talking to his lieutenant, um, and he's, like, giving him orders and stuff and talking about, um, you know, writing stories and what what's, what's good to write and stuff like that. And... Uh, the character is based off of Captain January in the book, um, and 
he's just so much more expressive in the book. He's you get a, a good taste of his character. He's so quirky. He's like the first time you meet him, he's just playing Monopoly like with a sergeant with, um, and he's like you know making himself like you know the the implied uh, ideas that he has to win every time. I don't know the way he just describes him is so much better in the book. It, it makes elements of it being like the boring behind the line shit just so much more interesting but either way um but that's a uh, really weird uh did you uh so this movie is like divided into two parts pretty much like there's a classic debate about uh you know people always argue which half is better um and for the movie i think i would honestly have to go with the boot camp section i think that's the best part and then I think the Vietnam parts are a little less um, interesting to me, just personally. Uh, I think uh, – go ahead, Cody. I'm sorry. Oh, so, yeah, sorry. Um, I, I would agree that the boot camp part – well, the boot camp, the boot camp part of the film is definitely more memorable, mm-hmm. um, especially you know seeing where it all leads to um, – Especially because this isn't obviously this isn't the first time I've seen a Vietnam War film, yeah. so like yeah, the war parts aren't really all that. They're not really memorable, but they're still they're still good. I mean, it's, it's yeah, just not, no, I'm I'm not it, arguing it, about that. It, it's not the it's just not the part of the movie. I think maybe a few years from now, when I if I ever think about this film, that I would think about those or that half of the of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you say like it's like broken into two parts. Like if we're looking, for me, the 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 part of the movie that weighs the heaviest is the Vietnam battle at the end. I'm talking like the last 25 minutes, maybe. Yeah. But the the other half of the Vietnam part where they're just like, man, I'm just waiting for some action. I got to write about it, and you know, it's just completely like doesn't even reference other than joker and uh cowboy reuniting doesn't really even reference the first half of the movie and that shit's kind of boring yeah. the first half of the movie is the best part but i think the thing the part that weighs the heaviest is like the last fourth of the movie mm-hmm. yeah you're so like, like they're, I mean, they're all like they're all like we're waiting for some action but damn these hookers they just want too much money for it <laughs> <laughs> oh what's his name i feel like that movie i mean i understand like it's, it's iconic now but vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, D'Onofrio? Yeah. D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio? Yeah. He, other than uh, R. L. Emery. R. Lee Emery. Are like the two best actors in the movie. I didn't realize that Joker, who's I guess technically the main character, that's the guy, and I don't know his fucking name. He's Matthew Modine? Modine? I forget how to pronounce yeah. it. He's, he's the last, he's the police, um, I don't know, fucking officer. Like he's higher up, but he's underneath uh, Gordon in The Dark Knight Rises. He's the one that dresses up in his police blues and gets shot at the end while they're having a big battle with Bane's people. That's that's him. That's the only thing I've really ever seen him in. Is yeah. That. But oh, yeah. the the one where uh, Gordon confronts him at one point or something, where he's like basically trying to convince him to stand with him and he's like trying to hide in his house or whatever and eventually he yeah. goes out in the street and gets killed um mm-hmm. that's and he's wearing his police blues that's that's that guy that's the same actor i gotcha cool 
I am J- the jo- oh. the Joker, baby. I guess the Joker was in the Dark Knight Rises after all. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm Joker, baby. <laughs> That's what he should have said. Well, it's like, I, I, I'm surprised Nolan didn't do interviews. He's like, they're like, are you are you sad that you couldn't have the Joker in the movie? He's like, what are you talking about? The Joker's in the movie. Yeah, it's a Joker, <laughs> baby. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I never would have like thought about that. Like, I would never have seen that meme before Owen, and I regret it. <laughs> really? I'm I don't. Joker, have I showed you, Cody, the the I don't stupid think so. video? I, I just I reference think, it because you guys reference it so much. Yeah, I think we just, <laughs> I think we explained it to you. It's just this dumbass like um drama class um. It's this kid in drama class, and he's pretending to do the Joker, and he's doing like a soliloquy or whatever the fuck, or some kind of like monologue about being the Joker. And he has like really bad makeup, and he's kind of chubby. And he's like, he's like, why do I got these scars? <laughs> well, I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching it right now. <laughs> Dances. With sharks. <laughs> it's so bad. I feel bad for him, but you know, I think he knows in that moment how bad it is, and he's doing. It. He goes, "I'm the Joker, baby. I'm the Joker, baby." <laughs> oh man, the fucking movie's great. Uh, or that that clip is great. Um, so this is a Stanley Kubrick movie, and uh, I think we've had our fair share of uh, shitting on Stanley Kubrick, and uh, I think I'm fully. I'm fully ready to shit on Stanley Kubrick for this episode. Um, even myself. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to take him down yeah. a peg. Uh, but the funny thing is, is that in this particular movie, for the creation of it, like with regards to his actors and stuff, uh, for all I've heard, he wasn't really that bad of a guy to his actors. I think with Matthew Modine, he did some fucked up shit. Like, um, I might be butchering Matthew uh, Modine or whatever the fuck, however you pronounce his name. Um, Matthew <laughs> Iodine, it's fine. Yeah, how how you say it? I'm the Joker, baby. So I just I just watched it. You wanna know how I got these scars? Well, I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> well, I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> but people fucking like people edit him into shit. Like they'll edit him into like the fucking Suicide Squad Joker. <laughs> They'll put like Joker baby on his forehead and shit. Oh my gosh! I'm the jo- he's one of the greatest Jokers of all time, really. <laughs> yeah, if if you're listening to this and you have not seen this, just look up Joker baby on YouTube and you'll find it. <laughs> but yeah, the only thing I've heard with regards to how Stanley Kubrick treated his actors in this was is that he kind of gave Matthew Modine like the cold shoulder. I forget what exactly what Matthew said to him. I, I was trying to find the clip in the interview, like all last night and yesterday, but could not find it. But if I remember in the back of my head, uh, Stanley Kubrick wanted him to come up with, because for some reason the filming of this movie was like really collaborative with the actors. It's not really that different than from the book, but from what I've seen, a lot of kind of stuff was thought up on the spot with how way the way things should be delivered and things like that and i think stanley kubrick had asked matthew modine to make an ending for this movie Uh, because the ending in this movie is different from the book um so i think matthew modine didn't i don't know he couldn't come up with anything so 
I think Stanley Kubrick asked him, he's like, hey, did you come up with anything for the ending? Matthew Modine's like, I don't know, man. I don't know anything. He dies. Like, <laughs> and then I think Stanley Kubrick got pissed to give him the cold shoulder. Something like that. You're such a piece of shit. Yeah, you could <laughs> like, be a real it's, dickhead. Like, it's like, dude, you're the director. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I think Matthew Modine was being, like, flippant with it. Like, I think uh, he was being, like, kind of, like, you know, like, kind of a dick himself. But totally, like, I don't know. There's not that much difference from the book, so I don't even see why it was such a necessary thing to have happen. Well, um, you know, Stanley, he likes changing shit from the books he's adapting. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, like I said, surprisingly for this movie, not much has changed, which is brings up another point I'd like to make. And I should probably start with... Uh, describing the writer of the book it will we'll talk about i guess the production of this movie real quick um so the originally uh the writer is a the writer of the book that this movie is based off of is a guy named gustav hasford um he was a combat correspondent in the united states marine corps um during the vietnam war uh, he was involved in the Battle of Hue, which is what this movie portrays. Um, and from what I've heard from... Of... Sorry, go ahead. The... Sorry, I was just going to make a dumb joke. I was going to say the Battle of Hue protein. Yeah, the Battle of Hue. They really get all fucking bulky. But from what I've heard, he had been, he'd wanted to be a writer like his whole life, uh, ever since he was a kid. And from what I heard, he specifically joined the Marines to go to Vietnam to write a book about the Vietnam War. Uh so, and he became a combat correspondent, uh, and involved with those combat correspondents, he knew like, I don't know if you guys know who Dale Dye is, uh, probably mm. not. Mm. Uh, yeah. So Dale Dye, he's sort of a big name in Hollywood, like with regards to war movies and stuff like that. He was involved in Saving Private Ryan and uh, Band of Brothers and The Pacific and a bunch of other movies. He's he's usually a technical advisor. Um, but he was in the same uh, combat correspondent unit as Gus, Gus Hasford. Um, and so that's just a bit of trivia there. And that'll come up a little bit later. But so Gus Hasford was in the Marines. He came out of the Marines. And in 1979, he wrote a book called The Short Timers. Um, and eventually, our boy Stanley Kubrick... Uh, did what he does, and he was just reading through books to get inspiration to make movies, basically. Um, and he read The Short Timers, and he really liked it. So he got in touch with Gus Hasford. And the way the story goes, they would spend, like, you know, they'd be up at night, like, on phone calls talking about ideas for a movie. Uh, Stanley Kubrick would ask Gus uh, questions about, like, you know, hey, how was this in Vietnam? What did they do? Um, you know, just others. He wanted basically every little bit, bit of information. And they would talk for a long time. Um, and eventually, as the story goes, Stanley Kubrick got Michael Hare involved. And Michael Hare was a writer of another book called Dispatches. Um, and Dispatches was a fictional book, um, sometimes billed as nonfiction. Michael Hare was a news correspondent like he wasn't enlisted or a marine or anything but he went over to vietnam and uh wrote some stories and stuff like that and compiled them all into this book um that is kind of like 
I don't know. It's just it's like a collection of stories, pretty much. Um, so you're so, telling me um, Stanley Kubrick can't come up with his own story? Exactly. Yes. I don't think there's a single Stanley Kubrick movie that is entirely not based on a book. I mean, which I mean, nothing against it, but it's like I think anybody can have the basis of an idea if you have like source material and then build off of it. I'm not like criticizing; he's one of yeah. the best directors of all time. Everybody can suck on his nuts, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, but the dude's a piece of shit. And when you like <laughs> the example you just gave us a few minutes ago with Matthew Modine, um, like or come up with an ending for me. Like, what the fuck? What are you getting paid for? Yeah. He's not, I guarantee you Modine wasn't getting paid a fraction of what fucking Kubrick was getting paid for. And I'm going to be, Kubrick was supposed to come up with something. I'm going to be clear. I don't know exactly. That's the story. That's what I remember hearing. So just take it with a grain of salt. Well, um, well look the way, the way he treated, you know, um, I can't remember her name from the shining. I can't, I, I wish I could Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson. Shelly Duvall, the way that he treated them doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Like, whatsoever. With he was guy. definitely hard to work with, is what people commonly say. Um, but part of the story that I'm, you don't ha- I'm going into is going go to... Ahead. Sorry, go, you can go ahead. I'm, I was just going to continue the story. Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, you don't ever hit, have this issue with, like, George Lucas or Steven Spielberg For- or anything like they're they're great people to most of their actors, like mm-hmm. especially in their older years. Like Kubrick was just an asshole his entire lifespan as an, as a director. Yeah, it's t- too bad George Lucas is a really shitty director, though. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say George I mean, Lopez. <laughs> George Lopez. I mean, I'm sure he's done some directing. Um, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of people say Clint Eastwood's like a fucking great director because he can relate to the actors so well. Yeah. And, you know, like, Kubrick is just, like, he acts like everybody's just, like, a tool to make his his visual come to life, and he mm-hmm. treats them like that. It's like, dude, fuck off, man. You fucking fat piece of shit. Yeah, it seems like he's very temperamental, um, which is funny because, like I said, with, with like, Vincent D- D'Onofrio and, and all the other actors, you know, they have nothing, and Art of the Emory himself, you know, they have nothing but positive experiences to say about working with uh, Stanley Kubrick. So it's just kind of weird how that was. Um, that particularly that pissed and I don't think it, it didn't like super piss him off but I think he gave like he just gave him the cold shoulder he gave Matthew Modine the cold shoulder for a little while is what I remember and eventually they decided on an ending and I think he warmed up um, which funnily oh, enough let's go with the ending that's in the book okay, yeah cool funnily enough the ending that's in the book is the ending that's in the book is different and I prefer the ending that's in the book um the the way the events are laid out are kind of separate but anyways um so when they were writing the initial script uh for this movie like i said almost everything from the book uh everything from the movie is one-to-one the short timers pretty much exact um but there was kind of like a collaborative process um some other ideas would be thrown in by michael Hare and Gus Hasford, and they were all communicating kind of just over the phone, nothing personal or anything like that. Um, and then if I remember correctly, in towards the end of the writing process, or somewhere around there, and Lance, you had brought it up before we started recording, uh, Stanley Kubrick wanted to meet Gus Hasford uh, with a dinner with Michael Hare. Um, now... Stanley Kubrick, if you think about Stanley Kubrick, guys, um, <laughs> he's a, like a 
artiste, you know, he's he's one of those um what's the fucking word I'm thinking of? Uh I guess Hansy. Maybe, yeah. Just kind of up his own ass. Snobbish maybe. Um you know, he's kind of an a, an artistic kind of guy. He's he's more like that. Um now Chris Hasford was a Vietnam veteran marine from buttfuck nowhere alabama (laughs) so and here's another part of the story michael Hare, who was in vietnam and he was in vietnam during in 1968 during the uh, tet offensive and like the battle of hawaii and stuff he had and this is hearsay i got this through a source that we should take with a pretty big grain of salt honestly michael Hare apparently knew gus hasford from his time in vietnam and all the Marine combat correspondents, for the most part, hated the civilian correspondents. Like, they would usually treat him like shit. Because the way Marine combat correspondents worked, um, and this is kind of portrayed in the movie, they would basically embed themselves within Marine, like, rifle squads. And they would fight, you know, pretty much. Um, they would be a part of the squad. Uh, you know, they would shoot uh, at, you know, VC or NVA regulars or whatever. Uh, they would help out. They would march. Um, you know, they would do all that shit. But civilian correspondents, you know, of course they didn't do that. You know, they just um, went around where the action was and stuff like that. They didn't have a rifle to go back on or anything like that. So the Marine combat correspondents mostly shat on the civilian correspondents. And apparently Michael Hare had met uh, Gus Hasford. And I guess Gus Hasford's, like, nickname in Vietnam was Joker. Uh and uh, from what I hear, Gus Hasford was kind of like a weirdly, slightly intense kind of guy. Um, apparently, like, he scared Michael Hare is is the way the story goes. Um, so Michael Hare was basically telling Stanley Kubrick, he's like, no, I met that guy during Huey. Uh You probably wouldn't like him. <laughs> so as the story goes, uh, they all have a dinner together. And partway through the dinner... Uh, Stanley Kubrick gets pissed off and hands like writes a note and passes it to Michael Harris saying like, I can't stand this guy. And so that basically breaks the contact for the two. Um, and then, okay, real quick. Yeah. So I'm trying to follow everything. So both authors, the authors of each book, he wanted to have dinner with them. Yeah. He was having like a collaborative dinner with them. He wanted to meet Gus Hasford. He had already met Michael Harris okay, no- and I think they had worked together like previously or something. Now, Michael is the one who wrote the book that has a little bit of the in in the movie, right? It's yeah, not the, very I little. The book title. The only thing I can think of that is it's called Dispatches, and the only thing I can remember and think of that's in the movie that was in Dispatches is where the machine, the helicopter gunner, um, is shooting the VC, and he's like. You should do a story on me. And they're like, why should we do a story on you? Because I'm so damn good. And he's like, I got 50. uh, I can't say that word. Uh, But, you know, he's like, I got 50 of them killed. And then they're like, how do you shoot women and children? He's like, you just don't lead them as much. And shit like that. Um, (laughs) That's from Dispatch. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty good scene. Um, But a similar scene happens in short timers anyway. Uh, in short timers, what happens is they're going over a free fire zone. And in Vietnam, there were these areas called free fire zones where 
basically anybody who was in it was free game. You could shoot anybody you saw. It didn't matter. Um, so they're going over a free fire zone, and there's a naked – the guy's completely naked for a Hawaiian shirt and six for a Hawaiian shirt, and he's shooting down at, like, uh, you know, Vietnamese villagers. And I think he's, he's yelling, get some. And that's it. I don't think they, they – they don't talk to the guy or anything. It's just something that happens. Interesting. So that's about this it. This movie's pretty fucked up, people. Like, <laughs> you know I mean? You just got to realize, like, you know, when you're criticizing something, like, online, if you're like on Facebook X or, I don't know, Threads or whatever the shit is, and you're like, oh, this is bad and shit like that. When you're in it, like, watching, like, this movie is a very personal experience with, like, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Like, especially the action of it. And it just mean, it just makes you feel like everything else in life is insignificant. Especially when you're trying to, like, like especially Joker is supposed to be a character that, like, embraces peace. And doesn't, I guess, it's never outright stated, but he doesn't um, necessarily agree with the war, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's trying to take a peaceful, like, stance or, like, the pacifist stance from it. But, you know, he has to kill somebody in this movie. And at the end, he says to himself, he's like, you know, I'm alive and I'm happy because I'm no longer afraid. Yeah. And it changes him. Like, you know, Vietnam does change people. And, like, any um, – my dad's stepdad was a mechanic in the Army during Vietnam. He went six tours. My dad's biological dad, um, who I've talked about a few times – Carl, he was an, a paratrooper who had four tours in Vietnam. And, you know, from what I understand, Carl never really talked about it. My papa really didn't talk about it. He just said it was bad. You know, you don't like Vietnam is one of those things that the veterans don't really elaborate on because it was not a great war. Like, period. Like, I mean, they were put into a position they were going to lose no matter what. It's. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that too. I, down here, I know a guy that my boss knows um, who was in Vietnam, and uh, he kind of has, like, a different, uh, like, outlook on it. Like, he'll – I don't know if I've ever told the story on the podcast, but apparently what he would do he, – he'll tell, like, stories and stuff, and he'll be like, you know, yeah, he was a combat engineer um, or something like that, and he would drive this um, – you know, I don't know exactly what the tractor's called, but it was some kind of armored tractor – and he was like, yeah, you know, I'd be driving that. And, you know, sometimes somebody would shoot at me or something like that. And, and these are might be bullshit. They might be old, like, you know, bullshit stories. Uh, but what he was saying was, you know, somebody would shoot at him. And, you know, he'd, he'd have his pistol outside the window and he'd be shooting back at him. And he said they'd fall into, like, the way of the, of the tractor and he would just run him over. Uh, and he'd talk about going around shooting water buffalo and stuff like that. And, all sorts of stuff. And, and one thing my boss asked him was like, you know, he's like, you know, do you think eventually you might have to answer to that to God or anything? Or, or he asked him like, you know, you, don't you think you might have to eventually answer for that? Right. And he's like, he's like, what you mean with God? And my boss is like, yeah. And he's like, and then the guy says, shit, God's on, God was on our side. <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't know. There's just all sorts of different perspectives you walk out on. Uh, with that, and I know we haven't really talked about the movie yet because I kind of want to set up kind of the backstory a little bit because I I did a lot of research on the backstory of of um, how this movie was made pretty much. So I hope you guys don't mind. Yeah, go for it, man. I'm I'm cool with it. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so I guess I was at the dinner. So Gus Hasford pisses off Stanley Kubrick. 
so after that, he kind of gets estranged. Uh, eventually, filming starts on this movie. So the way it goes is that Gus Hasford uh, wants to see what they're doing. Basically, um, he was never <laughs> he was never really invited officially or anything like that. So what he does is is he dresses up like in camo, like in a camo fatigues, like tiger stripe camo fatigues, and they sneak up on set. And um, apparently, what had happened was is um, they get on set and then somebody stops them because they like realize, hey, you're not. You're not an actor or an extra or anything. What are you doing here? And the guy's like, and Gus Hasford's like, hey, I wrote the book for this movie. And the guy who was questioning him was like, oh, no way, dude. I read Dispatches. I love Dispatches. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) so that's the, apparently the way the story goes. And some of it's behind, some of this is written in um, Stanley Kubrick's audio, not autobiography, but his biography. And I'm not paying money to read that because I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really give a shit. Um, Chapter like, 12, once again, an asshole. Yeah, it's written by some lady. Like, it takes a really – and I even read, like, experts of it for for this where it talks about Gus Hasford. And it's like, oh, he was trying to purposely sabotage it for no reason. Um, here's – that, ha- that Hasford was trying to – yeah, he was trying to sabotage it, apparently, just to be a dick. But here's the skinny. Here's the straight dope, right? <laughs> what they were yeah. fucking doing, they were trying to get him. So in the in the final movie, you'll see that he has a co-writer credit. Originally, they weren't going to give him that credit the fuck at all. They were going to give him an, an additional dialogue credit, and that was it. So, And this, this movie is based almost entirely on this book, The Short Timers. So... It would have just been the biggest fuck you and the most pettiest shit ever. Like Gus Hasford had to fight to get a co-writer credit. Yeah, well, I think we've talked about it before, but Kubrick just apparently hated authors. It's yeah. Like, wow, this book is really good. I want to make a movie out of it, but the guy that wrote it can go fuck off. Like, yeah. you know, we all know the story of how he pissed off Stephen King when they, yeah. when, you know, he was making The Shining and all that. So. And I can get. I can get behind making creative differences from the book when you're adapting it, but I can't get behind it if you're not going to credit the guy for the yeah. original story. Like that's fucked up. It, unless the movie just was like so far and beyond recognizable from the thing that it was adapting. That's the only time you have any kind of excuse to be like, Oh, well it was just some of the dialogue or whatever. Yeah. But when it's just like a few changes here and there, it's like, no, like in almost entirely. So that, you know that last monologue that Lance brought up earlier? That's in the book. Um, it's it's not at the end. That entirely is written in the book. Almost everything uh, that Matthew Modine narrates, you know when he's doing the, the narration, you don't see him. You just hear yeah, his voice. Yeah. All I, of that I shit. Narration. Yeah, no, I was just uh, trying to elaborate. I'm sorry. I, I don't think you don't know it. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but... um. Almost all of that shit is one for one in the book. Everything in that is one for one for the book. But um, you know, it was additional dialogue. Yeah, it was just additional dialogue. Not never mind that entire characters and entire plot points are exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was just a really fucked up thing to do. Uh, so that's kind of the backstory with that. Is is that you know, Stanley Kubrick was kind of a sneaky motherfucker. Um, I'll 
I'll defend Stanley Kubrick with regards to like cinematography and stuff. And I think he was a pretty good director uh, with a finished product. Maybe not so much. I wouldn't want to work with him, but I like watching his movies. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think if I were to pick anybody to probably make the short timers into a movie, uh, you couldn't go wrong with Stanley Kubrick, I don't think. Uh, even though, like I said, I will be going on tangents where I'm saying, hey, the book, the book's fucking better. Okay, read the book. <laughs> the book is literally me, bro. Yeah, the book. It's literally me. The book is literally me. You ever see? Um, but, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna make a stupid joke. No, no, go ahead with a stupid joke because I, I pretty much lost what I was gonna say. I think. <laughs> sorry. I was gonna say, yeah. You ever see? Um, Taxi Driver, Blade Runner, um, The Driver. I'm all three of those characters. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So you no, know, that's no, that's fine. I was drinking water. I'm sorry. You know, it's like I don't understand why. And again, this is like my biggest issues with like the changes that Lucas has made to the original Star Wars trilogy, like changing Anakin's Force Ghost, changing Boba Fett's voice, all that kind of like small stuff. You're erasing the contributions of those actors to something they did like over 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And people are going to forget about that. I think that if you've had a hand in creating something or doing something or performing something, you should 100% always be credited for it. Exactly. I don't understand why it's such a big deal. It's like, well, we're not going to give this guy a writing credit to, to be an asshole about it. It's like, dude, you stole his entire fucking book. Yeah. Like, I mean, I understand you bought the rights and shit like that. It's not like it's taking money out of your pocket to give credit to somebody else. Yeah, it was, like, and it's so funny because it was collaborative at first, like I said. And, you know, Stanley Kubrick can't take this big, uh, you know, Marine from fucking Alabama, you know. He can't take it, so he has to fucking erase his writing credit. (laughs) It's just fucking just, you know, I I just have an issue with, like, that kind of petty shit. Like I said, you know, it's just the simplest thing with Stephen King. Like, Stephen King wrote more and was more creative than anything Kubrick could ever do in his fucking, like, with Stephen King's, like, right pinky. Because Stephen King's constantly writing and shit like that. And Kubrick is taking other people's works and adapting it. I would call Stanley Kubrick a cinematographer who adapts source material. He's not really a director. Yeah. And it's, like, the smallest thing with... um Stephen King is just like, well, do you believe in God? And Stephen King's like, yeah, I guess. And then Kubrick goes, well, I don't. And then just hangs up the phone, and that's it. Like, and then he changes the mode of the the mode the um the book the book's message because the book is supposed to be supernatural. He just make it more of a psychological yeah uh, thriller at that point, which a lot of people seem to enjoy. And you know, it's a good movie. That's I don't like it as much as I used to. The Shining, I think it's kind of funny that a trashy, um, less expensive movie like Friday the 13th that came out the same year outdid it at the box office by a wide margin. I think it's humorous. Because all Friday the 13th was was a fucking ripoff of Halloween. And here you got this thing, this guy who's, you know, his shit doesn't stink directing this psychological thriller and it doesn't do anywhere near, well near that business. And I love it. Um, I mean, that's yeah, I have like, another thing about Kubrick. So, like, sorry, I have a question hell. real he quick. Just, yes. Um, was uh, I, I don't remember when we did the episode, um, but was Barry Lyndon based off of something? Yeah, it was based off of a 
novel, yes. Oh, okay. uh, I think it's called Barry London, actually. Barry. So that's the best part about this. Like, <laughs> you're going to struggle to find a movie he made that wasn't based off something than you are to find something that, like, anybody else has done this. So he's uh, an adapter. I think the only. That's what he is. Like, he might have made How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Uh, how I Learned. I'm sorry. I have to look it up. I think that might not be based on Doctor Strange Love, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't think Doctor Strange Love is based off of a novel. Um as far as I can Doctor tell. Doctor Strange is based off a comic book. Wait, well, Kubrick didn't write Doctor Strange Love, did he? Kubrick was impressed with the book. Never mind. It's slightly based off of a book called Red Alert. It was an un- <laughs> but from oh, yeah. what what I'm reading is it was only underlyingly um, based off of it. I think just not even so in broad. You have a base. Really. You have a baseline knowledge of a plot, and then he builds off of it. He can't come up with his own idea. Yeah, I mean, I still think, like I said, you he's know. a great director. Um, like these performances are. Really he's a great good. cinematographer. I'm, I would say he's a, a great cinematographer that adapts yeah. really well. I don't think he can come up with his own idea that's going to stand up and make any kind of fucking money. He wants to take somebody else's idea and warp it and make it seem like he came up with the idea, which he's just fucking he's he's dead. It's good, whatever. Yeah, he's already dead anyway. <laughs> so don't. Gus Hasford's dead. Shit, they're all fucking dead. Michael Hare died a little while ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things. Like everybody gives him so much credit for all this amazing work he did. I'm like, yeah, but he took all this shit from books. Yeah, like, literally every every film. There has to be a thing. Like even I understand Stephen King's not a great director by any stretch of imagination because yeah. of that fucking movie. I think, but at least every, he gave it a shot and he adapted his own work. Almost every Stephen King movie sucks ass. <laughs> Unfortunately, actually, I have a soft yeah, spot but, for. Um, I, I still have a soft spot for. That one movie we did, uh, that the one with the living fucking trucks. I can't even remember what it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that machine called me an asshole. Yeah, that was the best um, Stephen King. No, movie. Uh, what was that movie called? Maximum Overdrive. Oh yeah. Yes, and you know, like I said, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I just, you know, when you take somebody else's idea and you expand upon it, and everybody gives you the credit, and then you like, like I said, that small little story about like, well. He didn't like the guy, so he wasn't going to give him a writing credit on the movie. That's just a microcosm of what this dude, like, he just loves the smell of his own shit. Yeah. And, I can... and he's just extremely just the biggest fucking douche. Like, you know, it's better off that he's not alive still doing things. See, I heard that he you actually know, I know contributed. Everybody's like, this guy's just this fantastic director and shit. It's like, I get the fuck out yeah. of here. He's a piece of shit that treats people like shit. So if people any, are fucking, most people are miserable after their movies with him. Anybody's, anybody listening to this, I, I'm, I'm giving Stanley Kubrick shit. I like his movies still. Um, and I'm going to say that I think that this movie's still good. Like I said, there are changes he made to this. And like I said, the performances are really good. And, Part of the reason the performances are so good is because his directing. Um, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio is a good actor. Um, but, you know, you can listen in interviews when he's saying, like, you know, hey, I did this because, uh, you know, Kubrick gave me some slight guidance on, you know, he had a way to cue me 
very well um, to be able to to do this or this. And there's sequences in this that I really do like that aren't in the book. Like the, I think that intro with the the heads getting shaved and stuff. I think that's like it's it's a beautiful intro, you know. And that's obviously not in the book. Um, you know, just simple stuff like that. Well, can I, let me ask you this: I'm not challenging this i'm just curious yeah um no i mean i totally what about i totally was beautiful uh i mean it's just you know it's kind of like the showing the kind of like uh machinery i guess uh, i'm trying to think of the word but the just kind of the cycle of recruits the way they're looking into the camera um you know they're all kind of getting reduced down um they're all shows the transformation of boy <laughs> to to recruit yeah Yeah. boy to recruit to men and then you know you have the the music playing and shit like that i just think it's a really uh good intro you know i think it preps you for the kind of mindset um that these recruits would be experiencing you know they're getting de-individualized and you can tell that through you know just through a visual medium Uh, i think it's really really cool but uh well, I gotta do one last thing because I mean I, I get that I just like I say when we start bordering on um, giving Kubrick more credit than I think he deserves I kind of shut down a little bit I'm not trying to be an asshole I just you know the way he treats people like I mean dude you're playing fucking fiction yeah you're a director of a fake Hollywood product your life really isn't that important like he like I don't like people that stand like try to stand up with their shit like it's above all and he comes across that way with his work like all this other shit i'm like dude it's all fucking it's like the martin scorsese like well this is cinema that meme it's turned into and how he's like comic book movies aren't cinema i know we've gotten this argument i'm like dude it's a fucking movie Mm -hmm. like the fact that you give your shit more importance and they're playing it on netflix for fucking free and not making any fucking money is really fucking funny to me where disney's raking in all this fucking money like the the business of Hollywood is to make money by telling stories. Scorsese now is, is at a point that all of his shit is being played on a network you pay sixteen dollars a month for, whereas Disney on their worst day is still racking in seven hundred million dollars on their worst movie. So it's like, I I. I think people lose sight of what Hollywood is and they try to make things more important. Like Oppenheimer, everybody's like, I mean, I like Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Pooping, I'm not pooping Fartenheimer. Yes. Uh, from what I understand, though, like, you know, Nolan's really good with his with his actors. He's not like Kubrick. I re- but it's that attitude. I refuse to watch that movie because it has spawned an endless amount of fucking idiotic morons who think they know about World War II because they watched fucking Oppenheimer. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you gotta love the people that are. Well, my favorite is like the people who were before the movie even came out. They're like, "Oh, this movie's glorifying nuclear war." It's like, the fuck are you talking about? I'm, uh, Oppenheimer very clearly like regretted the fact that they made the atomic bomb, yeah. right? So like, why in the fuck would you think that Nolan made a film? about Oppenheimer where it was glorified <laughs> nuclear war. <laughs> Though it is really funny that it did very well in South Korea. <laughs> Dude, it's like it's like the they said it's the highest grossing film of all time to never hit number 1 in the box office. 
And the yeah. only reason it didn't hit number one in the box office is because Barbie is like dominating. I think it's already like one point two billion dollars or something. Barbenheimer. Yeah, yeah. Like Barbie. How much was it again, Cody? One point six billion. I, I think it's one point two or one point three billion. But it, they did say it's it's past the Dark Knight now. The Dark Knight. Um, yeah, so and it, Oppenheimer has hit seven hundred million dollars today. So the movie business isn't dead yet, but. You know, you got to have an original story, and I don't see anybody paying to watch a Martin Scorsese movie anymore, yeah. which is just kind of funny to me. He already made like that. he already like, made Casino, so what the fuck else is there to watch, dude? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, hey guys, like, what is you know, what is that? What is that like clicking or banging sound? Sorry, here? that's me fucking around with this thing. I'm gonna put it over here so I don't fuck with it. <laughs> it helps me think because <laughs> I know I'm gonna be editing um, and be like, "What the fuck is that noise?" <laughs> There you go. Hey, that's Cody. That's me over here clapping my cheeks. Let's see. I mean, throwing my nuts um, back and fucking smacking my cheeks. <laughs> yeah, throwing my nuts back and smacking my own ass. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's I'm bitching about Oppenheimer. I'm sorry. Uh, but no, I totally get. Um, yeah, we can knock Kubrick down a peg and stuff, and I think he's an asshole. You, you're right. Um, I don't know. I just despite. All I'm going to say about how I prefer the book and stuff, and, you know, I just think that there's certain elements. A while ago, I liked both for their own reason, um, and I still kind of do. I still like both the book and the movie, and I still, I still think the movie's great. That's why I picked it to show you guys, because I think it's a good movie, and I think, you know, despite maybe this not being your cup of tea or anything, you guys might like it. Um, so, you know, that's why. I'd- oh, hey, here, before we get into, like, we're about to get into the plot, I know. But I remember you um, showing me, or we like when we, me and you did the Heartbreak Ridge episode, Owen. Yeah. Uh, you said that you know you enjoyed the movie a lot. You did recommend it. You said that you know you think that Full Metal Jacket did the Marine shtick better the next year. Oh yeah, because it, did it came come out, out a year, year after, later, it. didn't it? Yeah, but I would like to go ahead and say this. I know uh, this movie's got like a ninety. On uh, Rotten Tomatoes and Heartbreak Ridge has a sixty, like eight on Rotten Tomatoes, but this movie's budget went from I don't know what the fuck the numbers are here, but it's like sixteen point five to thirty million dollars was the budget, mm-hmm. and this movie made a hundred and twenty million dollars, whereas Heartbreak Ridge, uh, let's see here, Heartbreak, which doesn't have a like immersive story. It's I mean it's a simple story. And it's a great movie in my opinion. Yeah. Heartbreak Ridge had a fifteen million dollar budget and made one hundred twenty one point seven million dollars. And you know, Full Metal Jack is also something that's been re released in theaters. So I'm assuming that one hundred twenty million dollars is including that. So you know, all you gotta say you gotta have a little notoriety and just uh, a movie that people enjoy. They'll go see it. So Heartbreak Ridge made more money. I like to brag about that for a minute. This, yeah. uh, this isn't against Owen. This is more like "fuck you, Kubrick." Um, yeah, you know. So I mean, there were, like I said, the there was an author to this as well who wrote this story, um, which I still think is a good story oh, no, by see, itself. I mean, it was written by an actual Marine, you know, who was in Vietnam. So I just think it's a. Uh, oh yeah, I know. And I get that. I I just think it's like, like I said. The fact that he wanted to like take off the writing credit, like I don't know how legally you could have done that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would have lasted long if it went to a, a court a, a, a court battle. 
because I mean, and like literally, he could point out scenes in this movie that were taken from his book. And like I said, like I just I keep getting hung up on. It. I don't want to keep getting hung up on anymore. But it's like you know, he he does all these great things. He can build a scene, but I don't think Kubrick has his own original vision. Yeah, I think what he does is he takes what he sees in a book and expounds upon it, and then acts like that's his his vision where he. Doesn't he never has a kernel of an idea for himself? He's just eating off somebody else's popcorn. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. I so I, I think you're right. Yeah. Um. In a, in a way that and that, that's the thing is like you know Cody says well you know what I have a good idea for this like me trying to take um like me taking credit for this podcast. Cody had this idea to do a podcast like two years before I even approached the subject with you, Owen, and it was a completely different thing. But I listened to another podcast and go, you know what? Let me start my own podcast. I can't sit there and take the credit for the idea because Cody's the one that introduced me to podcasts in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then Alex before that. But that would be like, oh, yeah, this podcast was all my idea. It's like, no, it wasn't. Yeah. That would be that's the same thing like Kubrick's doing, but he's actually doing it. Like, yeah, this movie is my idea or people are giving him the credit for it. And he's not really denying the credit. I don't ever like hear of him in like interviews when you talk about it where you go, well, you know, it was a good story and – you know, like, no, no, he takes credit for everything. Mm-hmm. And this is different from, like, you have a script writer. I'm not saying you got to be, like, Steven Spielberg and write your own script and then direct the movie and all this other stuff. But this is, like, I have somebody else's book. I have the scene, and the scene will look better like this. It's my entire idea, and that's not the case. So, like I said, he's, he's a moocher, and he takes credit for other people's baseline ideas because... He, he can't come up with the groundwork, but he can build you the rest of the building. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, I just think in this particular uh, movie, and I, I do agree, yeah, he's taking uh, the creative ideas of Gus Hasford. Um, but I think he, you know, he translates those ideas pretty well into a visual medium. That's just the only point I'm trying to make, pretty much. This is that. Oh, I, I got you, yeah. I just... I think I just have a problem when we throw around the word director. I'm like, man, to be honest with you, more here about him. He's an adapter. He's yeah. not really a director. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, a director's job is just to, you know, make sure the actors are, you know, portraying the events, make sure the camera is set up correctly and stuff like that. You know, they don't usually write their own scripts um, a lot of the time, like you said. Well, I know, but I mean, like, when I mean an adapter, like. Yeah, no. Adapter. I totally get it. Like, you know, but the thing is, like, when you talk about Matthew Modine. Like, going back to that. And they say, well, come up with an ending. Like, hold up a second. This is your vision, pal. Why does he have to come up with an ending? Mm-hmm. Like, somebody that has that kind of vision will all be like, okay, I already know what I want to do, but what do you think we should do? I don't think he has an idea. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think he has to have somebody show him the way, and then he can figure it out, which I'm not, like, criticizing. That's me. I don't, I mean, I don't have an original idea that I can rub two cents together with. But... I don't think, like, as, as terrible as he is to people, and I understand this movie, like, well, most people had good experiences with him. Yeah, but if you weigh it to the rest of his movies, I'd say, like, 90%. He's just an asshole to everybody. Yeah. And he uses them like tools. Like, dude, seriously, like, you can't come up with anything of your on your own. And you want to sit there and treat everybody else like they're fucking stupid. Like, you know, pot calling the kettle black. Like I said, that's the only thing. I just wish that motherfucker had some kind of comeuppance before he died. Yeah, well, Eyes Wide to Shut did famously pretty terribly. So I guess that was his, uh, where they got him. Well, I mean, if you think about it like this, 
like all of his movies. I don't think none of his movies made like five hundred million dollars. No. So you know, he he's he goes for the, he's the type of person that goes for the critical acclaim, and then everybody else is like, oh yeah, this is high cinema, this is high art. Instead of being like, well, let's just go make a good movie that people will enjoy. Like you, if you have to like sit there and like, well, you gotta watch this movie. Like I show some of the stuff to Savannah, and this isn't like this is just a general audience member. And Savannah is extremely intelligent. I mean, Savannah like does things that I can't do, like, like from a, a technical standpoint. I just don't understand how she does things. From a like, like she starts she starts doing crocheting, dude. She can watch a video. She watched like two videos of somebody crocheting, and she's made like six blankets and like a couple stuffed animals. It's like I don't know how the fuck you can do that. I don't have that technical skill. But she watches stuff and is like, okay, cool, man. It's not like some groundbreaking thing. Yeah. And, I mean, the only reason why this the ending scene in this movie was, like, so, um, like, vitriol for me, I guess, um, is, like, you hear you hear stories from Vietnam. Like I said, I've seen, you know, First Blood. And there's that uh, famous um, soliloquy, I guess. Uh, from Sylvester Stone, Stallone at the end, talking about you know the kid with the shoe shine box that blows up his friend. Yeah, and it's like you know, I mean that's that's kind of exaggeration of a story, but that's the kind of shit they were going through. And this movie does portray Vietnam in like a realistic perspective, and I will give credit for that. But I'll give credit to the author. Yeah. The actually, that's one of my takeaways yeah, that yeah. I, I have a hard time watching this movie for is is that um this this version this movie's version of Vietnam looks fake as shit. <laughs> Uh, it was obviously filmed in England. <laughs> uh, if you look at so Vietnam's like really green and like reddish brown, like fucking everything you see about Vietnam is like just lush green and like fucking reddish brown, like everything, even the fucking people. Um, so Jesus Christ. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> What was the point I was trying to... So, yeah, their version of Huey just does not look accurate. But, sorry. That was just... But if you're, like, if you're somebody that, again, doesn't care about that... Yeah, thing, no. I mean, like I said, that's like a minute detail. Mm-hmm. And overall... You know, this doesn't look like... The point of the of the way it looks is supposed to make it look like apocalyptic and shit. I mean, it's, you know, it's supposed to be in the middle of a city during a battle, so... Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't remember much... I mean, again, there probably was. I don't remember much jungle area being covered in this movie. Yeah, no, there's not really. I mean, like, like a, Apocalypse Now was like straight up, like yeah, they're, jungle, they're jungle, always jungle, in the jungle. jungle. Yeah, like I said, this movie's about the Battle of Hawaii, so I mean, they kind of got away with that because you know Hawaii was a big ass city, um, you know, so you can kind of get away. Where did they film this? The battle. Um, it was in England somewhere. It was like at some old abandoned like fucking refinery or some shit that they had like completely rebuilt it um the only section in this that kind of looks like vietnam is where you have the miso horny girl and the dude on the moped with the kung fu moves (laughs) that looks like vietnam Uh, but nothing else (laughs) i think i just think that's just kind of funny with the whole like the kung fu i'm like i don't expect (laughs) i didn't expect to see something like that in vietnam to be honest with you because you don't Think of him as martial artist. He had some moves. Um, yeah, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, yeah, about that point, um, I don't know. I don't even really – it's not a big deal, I guess. Uh, 
what was next on the docket here. Um, I guess the plot. Yeah, I guess we can talk about the boot camp sequences and stuff, which are mostly the boot camp sequences are probably the most faithful um, to the book. Uh, I think they're. I'm trying to think what is different. Yeah, there's not really much that's different. Just a couple of things that were taken away a little bit here and there. Um, like in the book, there were some sections where, uh, you know, that goes kind of more into uh, Leonard, uh, Private Pile being kind of bullied and getting the shit beat out of him. Because uh, that's what they do in the Marine Corps boot camp. Uh, you're just not supposed to say anything. <laughs> but they beat the shit out of you. Um, but... <laughs> I wonder how they did that scene with the bars of soap. Oh uh, yeah, where they beat the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. That his acting yeah, is wonder, really like, good in that scene. I always I remember that being that's something that stayed with me as a kid. I just I don't know, man. I'd like if I got the shit beat out of me by like twenty six bars of soap. I don't know if I'd be reacting that calm as he did. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I what I meant was they don't beat the shit out of you like that. Usually the the drill instructors beat the shit out of you. Uh, and that's what happens in the book. They do throw him a, 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 I think it's called a towel party or some shit like that is what they call it. Um, but yeah, so it goes into that. And I remember one thing when I was watching this and my uncle was like, why did, why did uh, you know, Joker have to beat the shit out of him like five times? And uh, I always thought that was a funny little observation. I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> he had to take it over over the edge there. <laughs> Um, but I think I just oh man yeah go ahead and I was just you know really to think about you know you talk about like the two halves of the movie it it kind of feels like two separate movies yeah exactly like there's very little of the first part that carries over to the second half of the movie yeah and that's that, like you know, do you see that scene where Joker's like you know, after they get done beating the shit out of him of his out with the bars of soap? I still find that funny. I'm like, man, I I should probably do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish I could have done it to Anthony before he quit. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony quit. Yeah, he did. He, he's no longer working at Dollar General. Damn, when did he so, quit? Uh, this is his first week or his second week gone. Damn, where did so, he go? Where did he He's come? a security officer now for like some company. He's making like fifteen dollars an hour. Oh, okay, Where's but it, it was it was time for him to go, and I'm glad he's gone. Um, yeah. But anywho, uh, like that scene where they're beating the shit out with the bars of soap, and then uh, Matthew Bodine, Modine, or whatever the fuck, Matthew Iodine, uh, is laying in his bunk after doing that, and you hear uh, Gomer Pyle la- uh, not laughing. <laughs> well, he's laughing later. <laughs> you hear him crying. He's like, oh, <laughs> and then you see uh, Matthew Iodine like holding his ears like he hated doing that, and it affects him, but there's no trace of that in Modine's character through the rest of the movie. Like, you only see like the end effect, like, oh, this is how wars affected me, but yeah. he seems to be the same person throughout it. Like, none of the effects until he had to kill somebody have affected him. Yeah. You know, that's because so Private Pile was a Section 8, dude. He was a non-hacker. He had to be taken care of. I don't know. The whole book well, is just... care of himself. Yeah, the whole book is just how fucking... And I guess elements of this movie are just kind of how shockingly like harsh <laughs> being in the Marines is. I mean, uh, 
in the book joker talks about like the first person he killed it wasn't the girl he like um kills like some old farmer just for no reason pretty much uh i could read i could find it but i I don't really feel like finding it uh just some old guy who's like looking at them like uh running into um some landmines and stuff and he just fucking like low unloads his m16 into him um I mean, I, I think that's part of the theme, I guess, is just how, you know, how just awfully mean uh, people can be in the military and shit. So, that is true. It's just how it is. I mean, you know, that's... Cody, you got any thoughts so far, buddy? Uh, No, you're good. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm, kind, <laughs> of, I'm, I'm kind of distracted, so sorry. He's beaten off. What are you distracted yeah. by? Yeah. Oh, okay. about those socks with soap in them <laughs> those were towels you'd ask what if they were what if they were socks full of cum instead that'd be cool well let me tell you say if cody's jacking off with a towel he's i gotta give him more credit than i normally do yeah, he said do you catch it in it's the more, towel it's more like chuk, 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 chuk. yeah it's like it's like sandpaper it's like hotel bad. towels Cody got a huge dick. <laughs> huge dick. Like eight ball. Eight ball. <laughs> My man, eight ball. It ain't too damn buku, okay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love the boot camp section in general. I just think it's it, – it, it rides that line very well, that kind of real-life boot camp rides where it's, it's very funny, um, but it's also – you know, there's some fucked up shit happens and stuff like that, so – uh, so Lance, I don't know if you spoiled the plot for this before you watched it, or if you already knew the ending of the boot camp section. And Owen, I guess if you can think back to when you first saw it, I know watching it for me, watching it this morning, I could already start to tell, like, oh, I feel like uh, either Private Pile is going to shoot up the place before they even get out of boot camp, or he's going to go out into the um into like war and end up killing like his his fellow marines i heard people a few people that i've either worked with or vendors that have come into the store like talk about this movie and you know i've talked about that scene where uh pile shoots somebody and i was thinking that was going to happen at the end of the movie and i was like the only time I spoiled anything for myself is when we were getting towards the end and that sniper was picking off everybody, including Cowboy. And I'm like, did they ever catch this motherfucker? So I looked up the ending real quick because, again, like <laughs> that part's kind of dragging a little bit. Um, at that point, I'm like, man, fucking two hours, let's finish this. Um, he, I, I thought that Vincent's character, Gomer Powell, was going to last throughout the movie and he was going to do something to the like his own like crew during war like he was going to freak out like that i didn't realize that the drill sergeant was going to get you know shocked uh shocked (laughs) he got shocked all right but he got shot and then you know gomer Powell shoots himself i didn't realize that was the ending to the first half of the movie i thought that that was going to happen at the end of the movie the way i realized it i didn't realize because i thought like the way they had it ship uh shaped up i know Joker's like the main character of the second half, but the f- main character of the first half is Emery and Gomer Pyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's like, 
Man, there's one thing, uh, like Joker, <laughs> he keeps doing these John Wayne impersonations. And the first John Wayne impersonation is shit. Like, he says something, I'm like, who the fuck is he, like, mimicking? I had to rewind it three times. I'm like, is that supposed to be John Wayne? That's fucking stupid. His John Wayne's better throughout the movie. i tell you who has a better John Wayne is Jacob Dukeshire, who's a listener of this podcast. Uh, he does a very good John Wayne. Yeah. So, uh, go check out I'll Take Three. And, yeah. Anywho. But yeah, like I said, that whole first part, I just, I, I you know, I really like the first part. I wish, I think it would have been more interesting if Gomer Pyle got to war <laughs> and seen what the fuck would happen. Uh, and the fact that, you know, nobody caught on that he was a Section A, like, Looney Tune, except for Joker, is kind of funny to me. Like, they're all like, he, I think he's Section A. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, well, what the fuck? Aren't you guys worried? Like, this motherfucker's a psychopath. Please, it's Joker, baby. Joker, baby. It's Joker, baby. Yeah, that scene's a little different that plays out. Uh, the scene where he shoots the drill sergeant. Um, the book is, it can get a little bit more, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It sucks because I was, Corey. I was thinking of these words, um, before I record, uh, gratuitous. No. War, war never changes. War. Expansive. War never changes. Now I can get more like dreamlike in certain sections. And, uh, in that section, uh, I think he's going to, he's like about to shoot. The drill sergeant. The drill sergeant says something like, uh, he's Stop. like, you know, he says like, Private Pile, I'm proud. And then he just gets shot. Um, he, well, he says something like, do do I do I need to make you come over there and make you do something or whatever? Like he's trying to, use, he's trying to basically intimidate him. to. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, it plays it much more realistic. But um, throughout the book, they're just talking about, you know, instilling them with the, the will to kill or whatever the fuck. And. At the end, you know, uh, I don't know. Leonard shows that he's a he's a killer, but then he kills himself or whatever the fuck. So I don't know. Yeah, which is fun. It's interesting in that moment in in the movie where you know he's like, like I said, trying to intimidate him basically to like stand down. It's like, are you too stupid to understand that you're the one that basically pushed him to this point? Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't but, entirely him. It was also the other people, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But do you, is Owen? Let me ask you this: is 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 there a real life character that Gomer Pyle is based on that actually shot his commanding officer and then shot himself like that, or is that just something he put in there? No, nah, like? it was it was just made up. Um, there is a funny story I have. Um, so my buddy was in the Marines, and uh, he knew somebody from his maps who went to. But when he went to basic, the uh, drill instructor, I forget what he said. He said something to the drill instructor. He said, like, sir, this recruit believes that there are problems in this platoon that could be solved with a well-loaded or a fully loaded M16s or, or some shit like that. And they immediately just, like, fucking got him out of there. Like, they kicked him out immediately. Um and that guy was like a huge. Oh, they kicked your buddy out? No, not my buddy. This guy, uh, my buddy knew. Uh, he didn't oh. like him. The guy, <laughs> the guy was a dickhead. Like he didn't like him or anything. He was, he was like a moron. <laughs> but yeah, he like immediately got kicked out after he said that shit. <laughs> like, got kicked out of the military or just kicked out of that 
regimen. No, he got he got kicked out of the military. You can't you can't go around saying shit like that in boot camp. If you say that you want to kill yourself or that like you know anything like that, they immediately kick you out. Like they don't play that shit. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that, that's. So you mean you mean to tell me that if you realize you made a mistake by signing up for the Marines, you'd be like, "Yeah, I really want to kill myself." You're gone the next day. Yeah, I mean, if you say like, if you fucking like, be like, "Hey, I need to get out of here." And shit, like you know, they'll they'll let you, they'll kick you out. You know, like fucking, it's not that hard to get kicked out now. I mean, it was probably a little harder back you, then, but <laughs> you know, they were yeah. they were being drafted. So, yeah, Owen, could you imagine? Like, I understand. Like, I wonder how many people in Anthony's regiment wanted to like take an AK forty seven to him. Oh uh, yeah, I don't Just, know the way he, cause, he, he the way he always very, told his. Uh, the way he always told the stories, it felt like he left shit out like that would make, because I mean, like, yeah, you get into shitty positions and stuff, and like, definitely in the military, people always try to screw you. Um, and then my friend Landon, he had, like, there were some guys who were kind of dicks to him, and you know, uh, were kind of assholes. <laughs> there was this one dude, um, and I think I, <laughs> I remember hearing about him. He was in his, uh, I think he was in his AIT, his Advanced Infantry Training when he was at like 29 palms or some shit. And, um, he was like Asian, but he was like super racist. <laughs> and he like only liked white people. And he would like talk about being a Nazi all the time. <laughs> so I remember that. That was a funny story. Um, that's pretty fucked up. Actually. It's pretty, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's all sorts of fucking weirdos in the military fucking goofballs. But my point about Anthony was, um, that Anthony always seems like when he was telling those stories about them being like dickheads to him, he would, it always felt like he left something out. Like, like he left out like a way he fucked up or something, you know? Oh yeah. With Anthony, like there's so many things with this kid, like, yeah, he, it would always be everybody else's fault, but he is like the most unaware self. Yes. Like unaware about his own That's self. A hundred percent. What I think happened is, is that he like, did something that fucked over everybody and he was never aware that like what he did like fucked people over and he was just like why are you guys being dicks to me and they were like dude you're f- yeah, he's, fucking he's idiot. just a fucking moron he just he needed to go like I'm, I'm glad I'm I'm glad he's not getting fired from Dollar General he was able to get out our boss is giving him his two weeks vacation before he terminates him yeah and he's making more money but he needed to go like he just does not understand he's a heat magnet and that's what they call it in wrestling. When you have everybody backstage that hates your fucking guts, you're a heat magnet, you just don't fucking get it. Like, you're so self, like, unaware of your own self. Like, that's just Anthony. Yeah. And I want, like, I feel like people just wanted to beat the shit out of him with a bar of soap. Yeah. Like, yeah. after, if I had seen this movie while I worked with Anthony, I would have tried it. Oh, dang. That was a good burp. Um... <laughs> but yeah, the whole boot camp sequence is just really cool. Uh, Art of the Memory has some funny lines that are really, are really quotable. So this is my rifle. This is my gun. Well, I, I my the only ones I can think of are that are the best are the ones in the beginning. <laughs> uh, like the the, the I like the five foot dicks. nine. Like you can't, yeah, you can't talk about the dick sucking part, but. Yeah, you know, or the what he says like, to five foot nine. I didn't know they stacked shit that high. You know, <laughs> I thought I thought that was, you know, it's you see like we talk about Arlie Emery, like he really only has like five to eight scenes. 
Yeah. And it's you know, funny. Like, he just, he's just so, he's like, he steals the show, dude. And yeah, he's like, he's the loudest person and he, it feels like he's playing himself. Not yeah. in, you know, the racist tones he was saying, but like just playing himself, period, because he was a former Marine himself. Yeah, he and, was a drill instructor uh, in that era. Yeah, so so he felt like, you know, <laughs> I just think about the scene where he's telling uh, a Gomer Powell to choke himself with his hand. Like, don't grab my fucking hand. Yeah, that shit is real <laughs> as fuck, dude. Don't grab my fucking hand, numb nuts. I said choke yourself. <laughs> That's that shit's so real stupid. as fuck. That's something that would really happen. He did that before. You know he fucking did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> like, somebody was fucking laughing but, at the shit he was saying, like, in fucking, like, back in the day. And he was like, all right. I think this is funny. I'll wipe that fucking smirk off hey, your he, face. He, and like I said, he's great. Um, he still, and like I said, I think in orders of character, it would be him and then Gomer Pyle and then, like, we're talking about one, two, and then if you go to like four, five, and six, that's when you get the Joker. Like Joker's the main character, but he's really not that memorable. Yeah, he's, of a character. At least Martin Sheen in uh, Apocalypse Now is at least staring at the camera a lot, like it's, he was drunk. Like it's that. funny that as I've gotten a little older, I don't, I don't like Apocalypse Now really much anymore. <laughs> so that's really what? funny. That was three years ago. Yeah, I don't know. It's too goofy. Like. I don't know. It's it's bullshit. My problem Look, with it is is that it's mostly bullshit. <laughs> you don't you don't love the smell of napalm in the morning. I mean that's a cool quote and all. I mean like it's a it's a spectacle like you know but uh, it's it's okay. I don't like apocalypse. Now I don't think it's so. I don't think it's at the end of the day as as I've come to the conclusion now it's not really saying anything. Like yeah. you know. Plus you got big big fat Marlon Brando who's supposedly dying of a damn. What tuberculosis or some shit? Yeah, but he fucking weighs like three hundred pounds. Like, uh, it's like, really yeah, just great. it's really just an excuse to blow shit up, um, in like the Philippines or wherever the fuck they filmed it, like, and to do like a yeah. slight adaptation of um, Heart of Darkness. <laughs> you know, I could watch it. Like, like I said, it's a spectacle, but overall, I don't think that that movie really means anything. <laughs> um, um, the funny. I'll say this. I think. I, w- I think I would love Full Metal Jacket a lot more if Marlon Brando was in it. Yeah, he should be the drill instructor. <laughs> no, he like, should be the the guy who's underneath suck the drill instructor that gets his bullshit. I bet you can <laughs> suck the golf ball through a garden hose. <laughs> your your parents have any children that lived? <laughs> they, you know, they really do love to make like a uh, dick sucking metaphors or whatever. <laughs> in this, Dude, in this movie, like l- later on, through in the um actual like war section of the movie, someone says like, "Nah, nah, she looks like she looks like she can suck the chrome off a tailpipe or something like that." Yeah, <laughs> most of those v- those Vietnamese horrors. That's also something that's not in the book, um, actually. So, um, I'm trying to think. Can we say can we say Vietnamese whores? Are we gonna go with it or? Uh, sorry, just whores. They, they are they are Vietnamese and they were <laughs> whores. So, yeah. I mean, I love it. Owen goes, yeah, sorry, whores. Uh, <laughs> just whores. <laughs> just working girls. What, what's the what's the old Tommy like Renaissance era? Courtesans, yeah, the courtesans. Yeah. 
the Vietnamese courtesans. Um, they are a, so horny. A croissant, though. Because, you know, Vietnamese had uh, French people that were, like, descended there because of an invasion, yeah. I think. Well, they all speak. So, uh, yeah, uh, well, France, France used to own Vietnam uh, uh, until they overthrew the French before the Vietnam War. So that's why they a lot of them spoke French or understood French. Isn't it wasn't so, wasn't them fighting for their independence from France like one yeah. of the earliest catalyst of the war? Yeah, so like in the late fifties, they were fighting the French uh, f- to gain independence. The Viet Minh, uh, who Ho Chi Minh was a part of, uh, so they kicked them out. And mm-hmm. then part of the uh, truce was is that they divided Vietnam one half north that was communist, the other half south, and eventually the North were like, "Fuck that, we want the whole thing." And then America was like, no, nah, buddy. We can't have more commies running around. So then we stepped in. So that's what happened. Why, why is it like everything, like South Korea and North Korea, North Korea is communist, South Korea is democratic. Well, yeah, it's because uh, the North is, so North Korea yeah. is right next to China and Russia. North Vietnam's right next to China. So. Gotcha. Well, that's the thing. It's kind of funny if you think about like those two way it's split, and then you talk about our civil war: the North were the good guys, and the South were the bad guys. It's like oh, the inverse. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, I'm sorry, you can cut that. Oh, out. Hey. you can cut that. Hey, out. You don't, you don't think the South is the bad guys? <laughs> no, we're leaving uh-huh. that in. Uh, we're gonna have a disclaimer I, that me and Cody Owens. are gonna record. We do not agree with Owen's comments. We're Owen's upset say, that you're, uh, you're insulting his heritage. His heritage, not height, brother. Come on now. Damn it. Them four or five years that they existed. That that's was, my damn heritage. That was the about. most glorious day of the southern life, man. I'll tell you what, brother. Hell yeah. Heritage, <laughs> not hate. All right. One last. Yeah, even though in the Mississippi, like, um, constitution or whatever the fuck. It mentioned slavery it, by fucking name. It, in the fucking first line. Yeah, it's like we're it's, succeeding for slavery. Um, yeah, that's basically all it said. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Owen, uh, Owen, Cody. What do you call Owen or Mississippi Queen? Is that what it is? Yeah, Mississippi Queen. <laughs> One more thing about the boot camp section. We'll fuck off. All right. We'll go to <laughs> Vietnam. So originally, you guys remember the dude who's in the helicopter shooting at the Vietnamese, right? Yeah. Yes. That's Tim Colseri. Um. He was a Vietnam veteran. I believe he was also a drill instructor. Originally, he was cast to be Sergeant Hartman um, or Sergeant Gerheim. And the book is named Sergeant Gerheim. I don't know if originally he was named that, but whatever. He was originally casted to be Sergeant Hartman. The way the story goes, they would do casting calls for the people who would be in the boot camp sections <laughs> Um, on a casting couch. Yeah, they would do it on the casting couch. <laughs> now, Tim Col- <laughs> Tim Colseri would uh, for the for the casting for the uh, audition. Tim Colseri would basically just yell at the recruits, you know, and just tell them to do shit, and they would record it. Um, so eventually, he got tired of it, and he was like, "Hey, I'm tired. Uh, you know, have somebody else do this." So then Arlie Emery, who was originally just the technical advisor for this movie, stepped in and would do the drill instructor bits. And as the story goes, Arlie Emery basically just blew it out of the water in these little casting videos. And Stanley Kubrick saw them and he was like, hey, 
this guy's actually better than you. Sorry, Tim. And so Tim Kosseri is now just the door gunner. Um, he got kind of cucked. He got cucked out of the Hartman role. So He sucked enough dick on the casting couch and still got cucked. Yeah, he fucked on the casting couch and got tired. Well, to be honest with you, that, that was a good decision because Emery is fucking awesome in this movie. Yeah, undoubtedly. Undubitably, so. even. Um, so, so yeah, after that, there's the Viet. So, uh, le- oh, real quick, uh, Gomer Powell, uh, shoots Emery, the drill, uh, sergeant, and then shoots himself. Pretty graphically, like, seeing somebody kill himself like that, it's kind of fucked up. I wouldn't show it to, uh, a five-year-old, that's for sure. I would show it to a two-year-old instead. Um. Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't fucking remember anything. Yeah, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> So then after that, they go to Vietnam, uh, and, you know, it's pretty much separate. I already kind of went over how a lot of people will go back and forth and say, hey, the Vietnam section is better or whatever. Uh, basically. I said, hey, 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 <laughs> Sorry. goodbye. Uh, so basically the setup is, is you know, private, or Joker's now – uh, in Vietnam, he's a combat correspondent. Uh, his buddy's Rafter Man, uh, who is uh, also a character from the book. Everybody's a character from the book. I don't even know why the fuck I'm saying it. But um, so he has. Yeah, why would it be original with Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> yeah. It's, most of the officers are original. They're not in the book. But anyway, uh, they have to go up to Hue because it's during the Tet Offensive and shit, and shit's going down. Um, and they have to write stories about it. Uh, so they go there. Hey, hold, hold on one sec. Owen, what did, what did you call it? The wet offensive? The wet, the tet, tet, T-E-T. Oh, okay. Tet's the hot. My bad. I thought you. Tet's the holiday. Okay. It's like. The, the wet offensive is. Well, the, the wet offensive is uh, from Tropic Thunder. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the mission the book is based off of. They put in the movie. That's probably. They probably got so. the name from the tet offensive. Um Oh yeah, without a hundred percent, this this movie, like that movie mimics Platoon. It's we gotta watch Tropic Thunder one day. It's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, the there is a difference. So in this movie, they go on the helicopter and they fly through that, um, and then I think they're just in Hue after that. I don't, I can't remember for some reason. Uh, but I like the way the book does it better. There's a scene in the book, and this is like, because I said this was partly PSA to go read the book. <laughs> and there's a scene in the book where they are going into Hue, but what happens is is that they run over like a water buffalo. Uh, so here, I'll, I'm just going to – I have it written down here. Um, so this is what happens if you'll allow me to speed read this. So uh, – da, da, da. sorry. Uh, so – this, These poor water buffalo, man. They get killed all the time. Yeah, they get fucked up. So here's the here's the scene from the book, which I think is something that is really powerful. That's in the in that could have been in the movie, and I think the movie would have been better. Uh, so this is it. So suddenly the tank shifts to the left. Rafterman and I are thrown hard into the turret. Metal grinds metal. The tank hits a bump, shifting sharply to the right and jerking to a halt, throwing us forward. Rafterman and I hang onto the gun and say, "Son of a bitch." The blonde tank commander climbs out of the turret hatch and jumps off the back of the tank. The tank driver has run the tank off the road. Five yards back, a water buffalo is down on its back, legs out straight. 
The water bow buffaloes tosses its curved horns on the deck in the center of the road. I see a tiny body face down. Chattering Vietnamese civilians pour out of the roadside hooches, staring and pointing. The Vietnamese civilians crowd around to see how the American savers have crushed the guts out of a child. The blonde tank commander speaks to the Vietnamese civilians in French. Then, walking back to the tank, the blonde tank commander is pursued by an ancient papasan. There are tears in the papasan's eyes. The withered old man shakes his bony little fists and throws Asian curses at the tank commander's back. The Vietnamese civilians grow silent. Another child is dead, and although it is very sad and painful, they accept it. The blonde tank commander climbs up into his tank, reinserts his legs into the turret hatch. Iron Man, you fucking shitbird. You will drive this machine like it's a tank and not a goddamn sports car. You hit that little girl, you blind idiot. Hell, I can see her through the fucking vision blocks. She was standing on that water bow's back. The driver turns his face hard. I didn't see them, Skipper. What do they think they're doing crossing in front of me like that? Don't these Z-words know that the tank's got the right of way? The driver's face is coated with a film. I'm not going to read that, but the blonde tank commander says, you fuck up one more time, Iron Man. You will be a grunt. The driver turns back to the front. Aye, sir. I'll watch the road, Lieutenant. Rafterman asks, sir, did we kill that girl? Was that old man yelling at you? Or why was that old man yelling at you, rather? Rafterman looks sick. The blonde tank commander takes a green Paul Boyd pen and a little green notebook out of his hip pocket. He writes something in the notebook. The little girl's grandfather? He was yelling about how he needs his water bow. He wants a condolence award. He wants us to pay for the water bow. Rafterman doesn't say anything. The blonde tank commander yells at Iron Man. Drive, you blind son of a bitch. And the tank rolls on. So that scene's fucking uh, really powerful. And it could have been in the fucking movie. But the movie's too chicken shit to put that shit in. So. <laughs> um, that's kind of fucked up, man. I ain't going to lie to you. I, uh... Yeah. It's a fucked up book. That's that, that's deep, but I don't I don't think that's a that's a, a, a <laughs> that that's deep, but I don't think that's a uh, thought provoking deep. That's more of a horrific deep. Yeah. Like, well, I mean. Oh shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think there could have been elements like that in this movie, though. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be a Vietnam War movie. You know, you got to show some fucked up shit. You know, I just think it's a really uh, it's one of the parts of the book that I thought was really uh, you know, kind of fucked up that really sticks with you. Um, cause like I said, part of this is, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it again. <laughs> like, so the, like that, the, the Vietnamese grandfather wasn't concerned about his granddaughter any. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the point of him screaming at, it. I mean, you know, so many, so many kids died in Vietnam. So, you know, like it says earlier, they accept it. Um, Fuck. but yeah, that was just a little section there. Overall, I think the, the Vietnam section in the movie is pretty good. I was pretty faithful. The only issue I have is that um, there's this scene where they're where Joker first meets Cowboy Squad, and I think that scene's really weird. Just the way it's kind of acted, and like they have the laughs like eighty yard. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Yeah. Wait, sorry. I thought I thought what, it was what? kind of like what scene? Uh, what where? Joker oh. meets the rest of Cowboy Squad, like he meets Animal Mother, and they, dude, do you saw you talk the talk? Oh, and then he was like, "Yeah, uh, well, Pilgrim, we eat, we eat the peanuts, peanuts out, out, of of my sh- yeah, out of my ass, yeah, <laughs> out of my shit." <laughs> <laughs> He's just putting a peanut in his ass, like, all right, one, <laughs> two. <laughs> I'm 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on this makeshift pitcher's mound and shoot them to you. Yeah, I just think it's such a weird. No, I want that. The the way because it's cobbled together from like a bunch of different lines and stuff, and there's some context like taken out of that scene. I just think it's kind of weird. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> I want that to be Cody's uh, Twitter bio for a week. Eat the peanuts, you eat the peanuts out of my ass. Of shit. <laughs> now before you eat the peanuts out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the book too, but uh, <laughs> it's a pretty good line. I'm not gonna say it's not a good line, but I mean. <laughs> Look, man, I'm going to say this. Cody's an adapter, baby, and he just made that line better. God, dude. There you go. Uh-huh. Eat the peanuts out oh. of my ass. <laughs> or where they show the dead, like, uh, NBA, like, soldier or whatever. And he's like, this is my bro. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's when that scene, that's when that scene kind of went from, like, kind of humorous to being a little bit unsettling. Yeah, I mean, they'll do that. I do, like... I do like that kind of just juxtaposition, but it just feels kind of strange because, well, in the book, in that scene, in that part, they're all like drunk off of like Vietnamese, like shitty Vietnamese beer, and they they have like a bunch of money that they stole from like the Imperial Palace and shit. So they have like, they're all like rich as fuck. <laughs> so I don't know. I could see them like saying like weird shit like that and that kind of attitude and mood, but. It is what it is. Um, I'm sorry. Me so horny. I just think about I just think about Cody's lines. You can eat the peanuts out of my ass. God damn it, man! That's fucking stupid. Oh god, I'm so tired. Yeah, I'm gonna try to wrap this up. Um. So, I'm trying to think of any scenes in the Vietnam part that really stand out. I think we've kind of talked over. Uh, well, everybody, the way people get killed, like when they're approaching, I guess the 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 city part. Yeah. And then the one dude peeks out from behind the wall, and the guns go off, and he gets like shot in the head, and he just immediately falls to the ground. Yeah. Like, that shit was pretty fucked up. I will say something that I don't know if it was intentionally funny. Knowing uh, Kubrick, he probably thought it was like, this is like really good drama, but I thought the shit was fucking hilarious. When those two guys were getting shot in slow motion on the ground by the sniper. Uh, oh! Yeah, they go, uh, and they're like, I think the coast is clear. Uh, it's like, I was laughing after the first shot. Uh-huh. How everything was like, oh, he's fine now. Then he's getting shot through the foot. Then he's getting shot through the gut. He's getting Yo. shot through the arm. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think the book did that section a little better um, as well. But, oh, well, you know. I don't like how, so they changed Animal Mother's character in the movie. Um, in the book, he's kind of just like a dickhead. Nobody likes him. Uh, and, I mean, he's he's gruff in the movie. But that's really all it is. He's just gruff. But in the book, he's like a total piece of shit. Um, he like, there's a section in the book where he's like, they tell a story about him and he's like chasing like a little Vietnamese girl around like with his pants down and shit. And like, you know, just talking about how he's just a general piece of shit. Um, he kills their platoon leader. Um, it's implied that he kills their platoon leader with a, 
with a grenade. Uh, it's called fragging. It's something they used to do in Vietnam where you would kill officers you didn't like. You would throw a grenade in their tent or you'd throw a grenade where they were. And it would kill them and you could kind of get away with it because it doesn't leave really much evidence behind. So, and everybody liked their platoon leader in the book. So, but he didn't because he kept him in line and shit. Um, in the book, Animal Mother is like, he's one of those people who was, uh, forced into the Marines because he would go around, he'd like steal cars and shit, and, you know, be a dickhead. Is that, is that the one at the end? That's like, I'm in charge of this platoon. Now yeah. The I, guy with the machine gun, the M60. Okay. Got you. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but yeah, and an animal mother, he's a huge, he's a huge, he's a huge dick in the book. So, and I think it's, I guess it's supposed to show off how like, you know, there's some, there's assholes and shit that thrive, that can thrive in the military that, that are like that. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you Kubrick is like, man, this guy's literally me. Yeah. He said, dude, this dude's literally, literally me. <laughs> yeah, not figuratively, not figuratively, <laughs> literally. Yeah, he's like, dude. When so in, in in the book, there's one part where um, so they divide. There's two sniper sections in the book. There's the one with the little girls halfway through, but nobody really dies like they do. That happens at the end of the book, um, and then that Joker does have to kill the girl. Like he puts her out of his misery. And, you know, they're all like, damn, Joker, that was hard, dude. That was badass. And then um, Animal Mother gets, like, pissed off that they're all, like, you know, saying that he's, like, you know, hard. And he, like, takes a machete and cuts her head off and, like, shoves it in all their faces and stuff. And he's like, who's hard now, motherfuckers? And um, Alice, who's eight ball in the book, um, he's like, he's like, Joker's hard. And Animal Mother, you're just mean or some shit like that. That's what he says. So, I don't know. I just thought that that was an interesting component to the character that was left out of the movie yeah it felt like that's too much um not too much character development but probably too much character depth for a character the way kubrick had designed this movie for you know yeah like he was i think he felt like he probably would have taken too much uh focus off the joker at that point yeah i see that i see that of course you know i mean i, I don't think joker the actor matthew iodine uh has like a magnetism of like charisma that like draws you to the screen. It just kind of feels like at that point, um, it's, you know, everybody, it's everybody's movie at that point. You know what I'm saying? Which it's, it's a benefit to the movie, but at the same time, it's like, well, we could, I, I would really like to have seen Emery in this, uh, in this half of the movie, you know, like, you know, put him in war or something like that. I would have liked that. Yeah. But, see his backstory i think the movie would be a lot more entertaining with him there you know? <laughs> yeah he's just the drill Hell, fucking make it make emory's character yeah we'll make it we'll make emory's character like the new rambo fuck it yeah at that he point, was a real man. life go around killing people in vietnam he was the real life rambo rest in peace harley emory by the way um he was awesome yeah, he was a real badass so how do you guys had, how do you guys feel about the ending you guys like the 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 ending <laughs> With the Mickey Mouse Club, yeah, Mickey Mouse. It's a interesting contrast for <laughs> them marching into like a burning city or whatever, and singing the Mickey Mouse Club theme song. M I C K E Y M O U S E M O A U S E. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. It's something that I do like. Um, 
about dun, it. Dun. M-I-C They should have done They should have done a Goofy movie Like the Goofy movie song (laughs) at the end You talking about You talking about the Powerline song Yeah that's right Stand down above (laughs) the crowd They should have done that That was cool (laughs) Even though this was like 20 years before that movie (laughs) (laughs) That would have been cooler I'm just saying Um, Um, I think I thought it was pretty cool. I think the the setup to when they go into the building before they kill the Vietnamese chick, um, like there's a fire that's like perfectly placed and like it's like a column of fires and it's like perfectly placed. I'm like, okay, this little two movie esque. Yeah, it's it it's definitely like not natural almost. It's definitely not something. I think it's supposed to take place like it's definitely some movie like fantasy kind of shit going on there, you know. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, other than that, it's like I think the whole part um, when she's shooting, I thought it was a cool visual of her shooting Joker behind the pillar, and you see the pillar slowly like crumble and crumble. Like she's eventually going to get to him. Yeah. But I do find it weird that um, the douchebag. What you, what did you say his name was? Animal what? Animal Mother's the guy with the M sixty. Okay, and he just like shoots her from the side, like she's. Oh uh, no, that's Rafter man. You're thinking all. of the guy with the cameras? No, I'm talking about the one that ends up shooting her. Yeah, Rafter man, is like the one that shooting her with the M16. He shoots. Yeah, her. Rafter man shoots and her it's, with the it's M16. That that's why he's like, "Oh, I'm so bad," because that's his first kill. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> oh, "Oh, I'm so bad." He goes, "Ain't I a heartbreaker, a life taker?" Brother Panty Sniffer. Oh yeah, dude. In the book, I eat peanuts out of assholes. In the book, Rafter Man dies. Um, he gets ran over by a tank. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he just uh, he want he like looks at himself in like a piece of glass, and then he like goes like um catatonic or some shit, and just walks off, and then he gets like ran over by a fucking ghost tank or some shit. I don't know. But yeah, how ironic! He just ran over. Turns by out tank. the guy. Turns out the tank that ran over him is the same guy that ran over that water buffalo. Yeah, I think that's like, implied. Damn it, cat! Damn it, cat! <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> and then then they just leaned over to him. And was like, have you ever heard of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Darth Plagueis the Wise. He could save people from dying. It's not uh, a story the Jedi would tell you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um. I had I was gonna read like the ending of the short timers because I feel like I read this and this is what made me read the book. Um, I don't know if you guys want me to do that or if you guys think that's overly gratuitous to do that. Can you give us the cliff notes? Uh, I don't know. I'd rather just not. How how long is the passage? Uh, I can cut it down pretty quick and I can read kind of fast, but I mean, you know, it's kind of a monologue. Okay, go ahead. All right. No, that's fine. Go ahead. That's this. This is your. This is your episode. Go so ahead. the setup for the scene is is that it's basically the same point. All the guys are getting kind of dragged into it. Um, you know, into the sniper, and they're all getting kind of shot up. Um, hey, Owen. Yeah. I think you're talking away from your your microphone because you're starting to sound like you're coming over like a helicopter pilot. Like, excuse me, everybody. We have a little turbulence today. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking through my headset, so I don't know why I would be. Uh, nice. Does, does, do you notice the difference, Cody? Though, uh, to me, I didn't. I didn't hear it. I just thought it was funny that it's like. Uh, Roger, attention, everyone. <laughs> Roger. Uh, 
we uh hit some turbulence and uh <laughs> ask you to buckle up your seatbelt. Uh, uh this time we uh, ask everybody to put in their bullshit. Uh anyways, yeah, let me read this real quick. So the scene is is that uh two guys are out, you know, being shot by the sniper to draw them in and cowboys going out there. So here's the scene. Cowboy stumbles into the clearing. We're moving, I say, more to mother than anyone. Cause, uh, so the backstory to this is that Joker is second in command of the squad. Uh, he got bumped down to go to the grunts because he pissed off a colonel. Um, we're moving, I say, more to mother than anyone. Mother ignores me, watches Cowboy. Bang, right leg. Bang, left leg. Cowboy falls. Bang, the bullet rips open Cowboy's trousers at the crotch. No. Cowboy reaches for his balls. He shits on himself. Animal Mother takes a step. Before I can move to stop Animal Mother, a pistol pops in the clearing. Bang, then bang. Donlin, he killed Doc J and the new guy. Cowboy shakes himself to stay conscious, then he shoots Alice through the back of the head. Bang. Alice's face is blown off by the forty-five caliber bullet. Alice flops as though electrocuted. Cowboy raises the pistol and presses the huge barrel to his right temple. Bang. The pistol falls. The sniper has put a bullet through the center of Cowboy's right hand. The squad bunches up behind the boulder again. I study the dirty faces of all my bearded children. Animal Mother, Donlin, Lance Corporal Stutton, Benry, er, Bernie, Harris, Rick Berg, Handjob, Thunder, the kid from Brooklyn, Hardy, Licardi, and Daddy D.A. Stutton, take your people back. Lance Corporal Stutton looks at Animal Mother, takes a step towards him. The squad is going to kill to follow Animal Mother and commit suicide for a tradition. Mother checks his M60. His face is wet with tears. Viking wild, red with rage. We'll go for Cowboy. Give the sniper too many targets so we can save him. I take a step into Animal Mother's path. Animal Mother raises his weapon. He holds his M60 waist high. His eyes are red. He growls deep in his throat. This ain't no Hollywood movie, Joker. Stand down or I will cut you in half. I look into Animal Mother's eyes. I look into the eyes of a killer. He means it. I know that he means it. I turn my back on him. Animal Mother is going to waste me. The barrel of the M60 probes my back. The squad is silent, waiting for orders. I raise my grease gun, and I aim at a cowboy's face. Cowboy looks pitiful, and he's terrified. Cowboy's paralyzed by the shock that is setting in and by the helplessness. I hardly know him. I remember the first time I saw Cowboy on Paris Island, laughing, beating his Stetson on his thigh. I look at him. He looks at the grease gun. He calls out, I never liked you, Joker. I never thought you were funny. Bang. I sat down the short metal tube, and I watched my bullet enter the cowboy's left eye. My bullet passes through his eye socket, punches through... I'm going to skip this part. Um, silence. Animal Mother lowers his M60. Animal Mother, Donlin, Lance Corporal Stutton, Harris, and the other guys in the squad do not speak. Everyone relaxes, glad to be alive. Everyone hates my guts, but they know I'm right. I'm their sergeant. They are my men. Cowboy was killed by sniper fire, they'll say, but they'll never see me again. I'll be invisible. Saddle up, I say, and the squad responds. Packs are hefted, flaps are lifted, a grunt and a growl, and the Lusthawk squad is ready to move. I study their faces, then I say, man, oh, man. Cowboy looks like a bag of leftovers from a VFW barbecue. Of course, I've got nothing against dead people. Why, some of my best friends are dead. Silence. They all look at me. I've never felt so alive. Simplify, mom and dad. Simplify, my werewolf children. Payback is a motherfucker. They shift their gear to more comfortable positions. They wait for an order. I pick up Cowboy's Muddy Stenson. I wave my hand and the squad moves out back down the trail. Um, and then just this last part and then I'll be done. Um, nobody talks. We're all too tired to talk, to joke, to call each other names. The day has been too hot. The hump too long. We've shot our share of Victor, Victor Charlie jungle plants and we are wasted. We wrap ourselves in pastel fantasies of varied designs and X another day off our short timers' calendars. 
We look forward to imaginary bennies, hot showers, cold beers, a fix of Coke because things go better with Coke, juicy steak, mail from home, and a moment of privacy in which to massage our wands, inspired by fading photographs of loving wives and girlfriends back home. The showers will be cold. The beer, if there is any, will be hot. No steak, no Cokes. The mail, if there is any, will not be from sweethearts. The mail from hometown America, like the half dozen letters I carry unopened to my rucksack, will say, write more often. Be careful. If you think it's tough there, brought this used car. What a report card. Mother's taking shots. Nothing good on TV. Don't write depressing letters. So maybe send me 50 bucks. New furniture in the dining room. For a ring, quick buddy. She's pregnant. Be careful. Write more often. And so on and so on until it feels like you just got a Dear John letter from the whole damned world. We hump back down the trail. Um, there you go. And then uh, pump, putting our feet into our minds, we concentrate all of our energy into that next step, that one more step, just one more step. We try very hard not to think about anything important, try very hard not to think that there's no slack and that it's a long walk home. There it is. I wave my hand and mother takes point. The end. Thank you guys for letting me read that. I know that was fucking lame, but I just wanted to read that. No, nah, I wasn't lame. Cause, I liked it. Yeah, I just... I think it's a that I read that and that's what was like I was like damn dude this prose is like really good so I was like fuck I got to read this book, um, and that's that's the ending of the book um, and I don't know I just think it's so much it's such a better scene, um, I think than the ending to the movie you know yeah but yeah yeah I agree <laughs> thank you for letting me speed read that bullshit <laughs> I tried to go as fast as possible oh, yeah, you're good man I mean hey. <laughs> Brother, this is your episode, man. We're just here for the ride. Yeah, and I know, I know it's been a little too long, so I'm going to kind of cut it off now. I'll just ask you guys your closing thoughts and, uh, you know, any other ideas or anything else you guys got to want to say. Uh, I guess I, we mm. could start with... Uh, well... <laughs> I don't know. Who wants to go well, first? I don't care. I'll go first because I might be the most negative. Uh, I do recommend this movie. I think it's a good worth... Uh, at least one watch you know this isn't something you're gonna watch with your family but if you like war movies i think you'll enjoy it uh kubrick is an asshole Mm -hmm. he's a piece of shit and he gets too much credit but other than that i think this is a good movie you know but i think that like you said like the parts he changed for the movie are probably weaker than what were in the book from what owens read from the book seems a little bit more interesting i don't see how those scenes would fit this version of the movie because you know it's it's different for a book and he's trying to create this narrative and it follows this like one main character so i understand why even kubrick might think that might be convoluted for the story he wrote yeah. but you know it's just one of those things like one of the things that kubrick changed that didn't work out for the best so but i do recommend this movie i think it's a good movie you know as much as that pains me to say and uh you know i, I think it's funny to finally put a face to the meme that you get, you know, with all the Emory stuff. And then that means so horny. Yeah. And then obviously this whole episode, Cody going, you know, eating peanuts out of my ass. And, you know, it's just pretty great. So yeah, I recommend the movie. I, I do appreciate Owen picking it. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for me, uh, this has to be my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie that I've seen. Um, and I haven't seen, I don't even think I've seen half his catalog. I think it's this, The Shining, and Barry Lyndon, I think are probably it. But out of the three, this is my favorite. 
Um, I enjoyed it all the way through. I I didn't really feel like there were any parts that bored me or anything. Um, yeah, I, it it was a little bit the, it was a little bit jarring in the middle because you know you go from Private Pile killing himself to immediately Miso Horny. <laughs> yeah, and um, but outside of that bit of a jarring transition from that from those two things, which do feel like two very distinct different parts of the film. Um, I liked it. I really enjoyed the movie. So yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And I think it is fun for the whole family. Yeah, I do agree. Well, thank I'm glad you guys ended up liking it. I know Cody, this isn't typically something that's up your alley. So um, I'm glad to hear that you like it. I like the war movies are very hit and miss for me. Right. Like I know we've, we've covered a few of them on this, on the show, but like, you know, apocalypse now as we talked about earlier i i thought it was boring yeah um and i've come around but, to but it the, too as well i, I don't think it's <laughs> <laughs> but there are war Cody, movies you never did watch heartbreak ridge though did you i didn't know um you piece of shit pizza <laughs> um i didn't i don't, I don't like, know how this works like I, I sorry go ahead i i was i can't get owen to watch commando and i can't get cody to watch heartbreak ridge it doesn't fucking make any <laughs> sense to me um but yeah, as far as war movies go, like I like this. You know, Saving Private Ryan is great. Um, Inglorious Bastards is really good. Um, so I mean, there are some out there. I, I, I would I was gonna say Forrest Gump, but uh, <laughs> it's only partly. It's only it's only like ten percent of the movie. I think that's like actually in Viet, in the Vietnam War. So um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, obviously, I I do like this movie, despite what I'm saying. I I just wanted to use my platform to I get and say that uh, I really like the book. You should read it. Uh, Gustav Hasford is an underrated writer. Uh, he also wrote a sequel uh, to the Short Timers, where Joker joins the Viet Cong, actually, um, which sounds completely ridiculous, but it's actually a really good read. Uh, it's called The Phantom Blooper. Uh, he wrote another new uh, novel, like it was a detective novel. I haven't read that. It's I, that book's more legit. Where where the Joker baby becomes a detective. Yeah. Well, the here I was the, the streets of New York. <laughs> yeah. The story back, back from my heart in time with the Viet Cong tracking down some dizzy dame and her skewed lover. Yeah. Funnily <laughs> enough, it is about a Vietnam veteran, uh, who becomes like a private detective. Uh, but it takes, <laughs> it takes place in LA though, instead of New York. Oh. So close. Well, almost that it, close, almost but, that it. but no cigar. <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry I took up all your guys' time. Shit, sorry this was a kind of a long one, I know, and I, I rambled no, a lot. No, you're good. Um, it definitely ain't the longest episode we've ever recorded. Um, oh, but yeah, me it, and Cody did that two weeks ago. <laughs> what did you guys with the Mortal Kombat thing? Uh, yeah. That Mortal Kombat thing. How long was that? Oh yeah, you guys like went over the two whole and a half hours. whole series, didn't you? Not yet. That, oh, we've done two. No, that was only the so first th- uh, five games, really. <laughs> yeah, we, we've done the we've done the first two episodes, and I think between the two is like a total of like four and a half hours or something of recording time. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, if you don't mind, I'll talk briefly about the next movie, and then we'll you can close out. Yeah, sound good. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so on. I think I may I may cut it out when I edit the episode, but I previously thought I was going to do some of the Conjuring movies, but I decided I want to take a break from horror movies for a while, um, not because I'm like am, am burned out on them or anything, but just a, a decent break from them for this podcast, right? 
Um, I want to do a few movies that I actually really enjoyed as a kid. And the first one is going to be The Mask, uh, the Jim Carrey movie from the 90s. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be our next movie. Which, the re- And the reason I picked The Mask is because there's been some, like, I know it all, it's been tied back to Mortal Kombat lately, but Mortal Kombat, there are, like, people saying, like, oh, well, what if the Mask character was, like, a guest character in uh, com- in Mortal Kombat 1? I was like, well, that sounds weird. And then you research, and it's like, oh shit! Like, I didn't realize it was based. It was a comic book originally, and that the comic book is actually extremely violent. <laughs> so, when we discuss the movie, I do want to kind of like go over like the comparisons between what the movie ended up being versus what the comic book is that they based it off of. Oh yeah, that would be cool. Um, and how drastically different it is. So I didn't know it was even like like you said. I didn't know it was based on a comic book either. Yeah. Does he like squish people with his fucking mask powers? Like, yeah. So the the frame the frame that I saw or the panel I saw, excuse me, um, was the mask. He was holding like a bat with like um, metal weights or something on the end of him, and uh, that maybe had like spikes on him or something. But he was like, which one of you? Which one of you wants to see uh, your entrails on the outside first or something <laughs> like that? It's like what the fuck, <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey? No. <laughs> but um yeah so that's, that's gonna be our next episode is the mask well boys uh that was uh filmoscopy um follow our asses on twitter um i don't remember our ads guys <laughs> make sure you eat some peanuts out yeah of make sure you eat some peanuts out of our asses um <laughs> hey hey guys hopefully the next time we record i have some good personal news i don't want to jinx it but we're getting uh, a step closer to the edge. And I'm and, about to uh, break. And I'm about to break and uh, I'm about to break uh peanut off of my asshole. So nice. finally. God damn, we were waiting for that to happen. Crack the shell and push it out. <laughs> I just wish I want Cody Cody, do me a favor, okay? When you edit this episode, I need you to send me a clip of you just saying unprompted Eating a peanut out of my asshole, <laughs> Cody. In this episode, with I, I want, in this episode with a I, quote I want of, of Arlie Emery saying, "Do you suck dicks?" And that'll be the last thing that they hear. <laughs> <laughs> but now, I, I, Cody, I want you to send me just a super cut of that like two second clip. You're gonna eat peanuts out of my asshole. I'm gonna make that my Twitter, not my Twitter, my uh, text notification. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I guess that was it, right? All right, everybody. Yeah, that's it. We'll, yep, that's it, we'll boys. S- Thank y'all for listening. We'll see you. Bye.